this is what I see crisis. I see pain and suffering as this intelligence that is actually there to support and help us find our way forward. And the only challenge we have as humans is that we're very resistant and stubborn at, uh, and accepting of having suffering and pain in our lives, as opposed to like, oh, this, there's a, there's a, there's a communication coming through that's loving it's maternal, it's kind, it's caring, and it's making me feel uncomfortable to try to guide me in another direction. And when we become more tuned into that intelligence, we find our lives become less tumultuous, less turbulent. And as an individual and as a species, we can have greater harmony in our lives over time. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Seek the Joy podcast. Happy Seek the Joy Tuesday. I'm your host, Sydney Weiss, and on the podcast today, I am joined by Tom Cronin. He's the founder of the Stillness Project and the Portal Film Experience. And Tom has spent 26 years as one of Sydney's top bond and swap brokers. And from very early on in his career, he found meditation and mindfulness to really be transformational in relieving the chaos and anxiety that he experienced in his life and in his work. And so inspired by his experiences, he founded the Stillness Project. And it's this global initiative encouraging individuals to meditate and sit in stillness daily. Since then, he's really dedicated himself to changing the lives of countless individuals through teaching, transformational leadership, meditation retreats, keynote talks, and most recently, the Portal Film Experience. And in today's episode, we really dive in to Tom's journey, how he found mindfulness and the impact of stillness on his life. But I even wanted to take a step back and talk about what is stillness, its value, and how we can really begin to measure its impact on our lives. We talk about the practice of stillness and how it can also aid us in times of challenge or adversity. And there's no doubt that over the last two years, we're in year three now of the pandemic, plus everything that is going on in the world. Um, we are constantly facing challenge and adversity. And so it was so interesting to have this conversation with him about the role of crisis in our lives and what crisis is and why it's often this reflection of a resistance to change. And then Tom also shares how crisis can help us become better human beings and the impact of growing through stillness rather than relying on a moment of crisis to propel us. We also dive into being versus doing, getting clear on our preferences and the connection between stillness and joy. Plus, Tom shares how stillness and mindfulness can really fit into our everyday lives that are often so busy and uh, multifaceted. We dive into this portal film experience, which is this experiential documentary that Tom created as part of a bold global vision to overcome chronic levels of anxiety, depression, PTSD, and trauma that are faced by most people. And so his message in this film is really powerful. Um, and I think you're going to really enjoy what he shares about it as well. We also talk about his biggest dream and so much more. Now more than ever, I just think it's so important that we have reliable resources that we can turn to. And that's where today's sponsor, BetterHelp, comes in. So I would love to share with you a little bit more about BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And it's easy and free to change counselors if you don't think the person you've matched with is a good fit. 
And no matter where you're listening to Seek the Joy podcast right now, you can also use BetterHelp because the service is available for people worldwide too. I just think it's so valuable to talk to someone about what it is that you're going through, whether that's anxiety, depression, grief, loss, changes at work, or friendship dynamics, or relationships, or you want to talk about the challenges of the last couple of years. And BetterHelp offers a broad range of expertise in their counselor network, so you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions too, which I still think is a game changer. I really want you to live a happier, more joyful, and just ease-filled life. That's why I share these conversations with you. And so I'm just excited to share that as a listener of Seek the Joy podcast, you will get 10% off your first month by going to betterhelp.com slash seekthejoy. Join over 1 million people and counting taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash seek the joy. The link will also be included in our show notes. As always, I cannot wait to hear what you think about this one. So make sure to join the conversation on our social media channels, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We are at Seek the Joy Podcast everywhere. Send this episode, send the podcast to a friend, someone in your family, a coworker. I just think today's episode is such an interesting conversation and um, I think you're going to really enjoy it. And it's a lot about reframing our perspective around crisis and seeing it as an opportunity, which I just so appreciated. Um, what else? I had something I wanted to say. Oh, next week, there will not be a new episode of the podcast. It is our break week for the month of April, but we will be back with a new episode on April 26. Uh, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review either on Apple Podcasts or Spotify wherever it is that you're listening to the episode. And uh, that's it for me. So without further ado, let's dive into this one with Tom Cronin, the founder of The Stillness Project and The Portal Film Experience. Tom, thank you so much for, for coming on Seek the Joy podcast. I'm really excited for this conversation. I'm excited to learn more about your work and the Stillness Project and this incredible documentary um, that you've put together. But I think a good place probably to start is with your own personal journey. And I, I would love if we can start with how you started to explore meditation and mindfulness, because in my experience, it's, it's such a personal personal journey getting to that point. Yeah, you know, we normally don't want to uh, change things unless we really need to kind of wait until there's a sort of forced situation that makes us want to have to yeah. change what we're doing. And that was very much the case for me. I uh, was really struggling in life. I was working as a broker in finance. It was very Wolf of Wall Street, very fast, very furious. Uh, a lot of sort of lifestyle choices that came with that job, which involved uh, a lot of drinking, a lot of drugs, a lot of partying and a lot of late nights. And over time, there was this deterioration in my nervous system. And, you know, our, our nervous systems can only take so much wear and tear, just like any sort of machinery that is put under immense wear and tear, then it, it gets to what's called in engineering terms a bifurcation point. And that's where, like, they're measuring steel and it sort of gets to a sort of resistant point where it can only take so much load and then they realize that it, it breaks down at that point. And my nervous system had hit a bifurcation point uh, after about 10 years of being in that career and living the lifestyle that I was living. 
And at that point, I was, you know, sent to doctors and psychiatrists and put on pharmaceutical meds and um, really kind of just told that this is how we're going to try and fix this problem. I was really quite incapacitated. I had extreme anxiety, depression, insomnia, panic attacks, like just waves and waves mm. of panic attacks that were really quite debilitating. In the end, I, I couldn't go to work. I had to take some time off work. So things had gotten pretty dire and I was really in quite a dark place. I was questioning, I guess, whether I wanted to continue on with this journey of life. I really couldn't see any light at the end of the tunnel. I, I was quite, I guess, really uh, deeply dark about who I'd become, the type of lifestyle I'd been living and, and, and just not really finding any way out of that. And so um, it was at that time, in, 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 you know, interestingly, it was like this sort of divine intervention that I mm. uh, was given this um, documentary that I was watching about a successful businessman. And I really just was fascinated by this guy and his success. I was at home. I wasn't able to go to work. So I was watching TV and there was a tiny slither of this person uh, meditating. And he talked about how he used meditation as a tool for his success. And it was like a light bulb moment. It was something that I knew that is something I needed to explore and go further into. He just looked so peaceful and so serene. Now I was brought up on a farm and then I went to an all boys school and then I worked in finance with a bunch of you know, testosterone fueled yelling guys. So mm -hmm. meditation wasn't something that I'd come across. So when I saw this, um, it was quite new to me and uh, something that I hadn't really been familiar with at all. But it, this was this awakening inside me of something special. And so that's when I started my journey into meditation, mindfulness, and Eastern philosophy. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that. I, I think it's so interesting. I have found in my own life and through doing this podcast and talking to so many people over the last four and a half years or so, it's often a breaking point of sorts with our own health that propels us into this next chapter of our lives. And often this chapter is one where we're really, I think, beginning to explore our passions and our values and what aligns for us. And it really only comes some, I have found for me at least, and it sounds like for you too, with this breaking point of, oh, I can't take the status quo I've been living with, with stress and anxiety and um, a deterioration of our health. And it's it's always so fascinating to me how it's that moment that becomes this this jumping point. And, and it doesn't happen right away. It's often a buildup of time and learnings and, and immersing yourself in a space to really feel um, like, whoa, this is something I want to pursue. But so interesting, it sounds like with your journey, meditation became um, not only a huge part of your life, but something that ultimately allowed you maybe to free yourself from so much of the stress and anxiety and depression that you were speaking of. And there's no question about it. It had a huge impact. It was it was a game changer and it mm -hmm. happened very quickly. Uh, the first thing that happened was insomnia. It just melted away and I started sleeping wow. within the first week. It was phenomenal how quickly I could just drop off to sleep and sleep really well. Um, the anxiety, depression started to melt away. The addiction started to drop away. And all of that was really just very simple in science. It was just that I was getting out of a sympathetic nervous system state. And I was, through the meditation device, I was moving into a parasympathetic nervous system state. We can get into more esoteric subject matter about I was also connecting with my, my divine energy or my source mm -hmm. or my higher self. But on a physiological, mental and uh, emotional level, it was really having a huge effect on bringing about change in my system. And that resulted in huge amounts of change in my life overall. 
Mm-hmm. But just coming back to crisis, um, you know, one of the things we wanted to inspire with the film and the book was that crisis isn't something we're a victim of. Crisis is an essential tool of an evolutionary intelligence that is actually there to support and guide and encourage us forward. And it, the analogy I like to use is I, I see the universal intelligence as some sort of maternal loving force field. And it's like a mother that at times might need to maybe scold a child that is putting a, a knife or a fork in the electric socket. And it might need to maybe give it some discipline to try to let it know that that type of action or behavior isn't relevant or necessary. Mm-hmm. And so this is what I see crisis. I see pain and suffering as this intelligence that is actually there to support and help us find our way forward. And the only challenge we have as humans is that we're very resistant and stubborn at, uh, and accepting of having suffering mm-hmm. and pain in our lives, as opposed to like, oh, this, there's a, there's a, there's a communication coming through that's loving it's maternal, it's kind, it's caring, and it's making me feel uncomfortable to try to guide me in another direction. And when we become more tuned into that intelligence, we find our lives become less tumultuous, less turbulent. And as an individual and as a species, we can have greater harmony in our lives over time. So interesting what you just said that a lot of crisis, it sounds like what you were saying is a lot of crisis is a reflection often of our own resistance towards change. And I love what you said that crisis can often serve as this maternal energy, this nurturing energy that allows us to move forward. Because I I think it's so interesting as a whole, I think in in society, in the world, we look at crisis, just like you said, as this terrible thing. But what if we could reframe it? What if there's a perspective shift around crisis or challenge um, or adversity? And so I love what you just shared that ultimately, it, to me, it sounds like it's, it's this opportunity to allow yourself to grow right through the adversity, through the challenge. And, and I'm curious, as you've continued to practice mindfulness and meditation, and I'd love to speak about this piece about stillness as well. Um, I'm curious how you've seen your perspective around crisis change over the time, because there's no doubt we've been living in a state of crisis um, with the pandemic over the last couple of years and everything else that has happened before and continues to happen now with Ukraine. And and so I'm just curious how your perspective has shifted um, or what you've seen around crisis, because I, I think this is such an interesting topic. When we meditate and access into that field of stillness, it just allows the ability to sort of step back. It allows mm-hmm. us to sort of pause and then start to have the ability to observe and question without just being constantly thrown around and reactive. We yeah. start to just have some space and start looking deeper. Okay, and my life completely changed for the better when I had this ability to, in every time I'm feeling some degree of pain and suffering, ask how is this maternal force helping me improve my experience of life Mm. it's incredible what starts to happen the insights and cognitions and creativity and adaptability you get when you look at circumstances that way and i look at humanity and i can see clearly when we have crisis on a collective level it's simply because we're resisting a progressive path and the pandemic could be a classic example of that what is this trying to teach us and we know that um you know, a large number of people that were infected with COVID that died were um, had really poor health mm. initially before they actually got COVID. And a lot of people that got COVID that had really good health 
might have got sick, but they were okay uh, after that. And so we can correlate something there about what are we as humans being taught here through this experience about how we can be sovereign and manage our health better uh, without yeah. having to rely on the, the trying to solve the problem, but actually get to the root cause of the problem in mm -hmm. the first place. Yeah. And so we find that in every circumstance for sure. Yeah. Like what am I supposed to learn from this experience? Um, I, I remember so vividly. Um, so I'm a lawyer. And when I was sitting for the bar exam in California and I didn't pass the first time, um, I really chose to use that moment um, to ask myself, what am I supposed to learn from this? And there was so much I was supposed to learn from it. Um, you know, removing this element of performance anxiety and stress and anxiety and trusting myself and not overworking myself and, and really knowing, you know, that every single interaction, everything you do is about taking you closer. I, I feel at least for me to who you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to be in, in this human experience. And, and I think reframing crisis for me has been just a huge huge part of my journey, but I never thought about it. What you just shared previously about this maternal energy, this nurturing energy. I just, I love that because I think it's about at the root of all of this experience being here in this, on this planet during this time, the way I look at it is it's all about getting us closer to understanding the sense of love, love for self, love for others. How can we love and treat the planet and, and their home? And there's so much more we can probably go into that. But the, every every opportunity, every chance that we can take to get closer to that knowing, I think is huge. And, and crisis is definitely a big part of it. But I think too, it's about recognizing that there's going to be additional moments of crisis in our lives. And so how can we use the moment that we're in now um, to choose growth in a different way, maybe to learn and grow through joy and celebration and hope and community and connection rather than through crisis. Like my hope is one day we can get there and maybe learn through those opportunities rather than always, not always, but more often than not, I think learning through crisis in that way. Yeah, we can definitely um, reduce, if not even prevent crisis from happening in our lives. And it comes down to one thing, uh, adaptability. Mm. Um, we can intuit before the circumstances arise the need to adapt and change. And uh, we have infinite adaptive capacity and we have intuitive capacity as well. But when we're deeply conditioned and coded and driven by our desires and our lack and our ego, then we're very uh, misaligned and not tuning into that subtle communication that's coming through. And it's why meditation plays such a big part because it allows us to access a much more subtler field. And you almost get this incredible, oh, I'm sensing on the horizon that if I continue on this trajectory, then that could be fairly, you know, painful or cataclysmic. So yeah. I'm going to deviate first before I get to that situation. And uh, this is how we can as a species and as individuals um, live much more harmoniously uh, the, my father was a sailor and he used to teach me sailing tips and, and strategies. And he used to say that, um, and teach me how to, as a sailor, watch, uh, the water and the wind will change direction, but you'll see the ripples on the water, you know, a kilometer, 800 meters, 700 meters, and it would get closer and closer. And he'd go, get ready, get ready, get ready. We're about to tack. And he would be so prepared ahead of the change that was going to come because the wind's not as constant when you're sailing. It's, it's moving around all the time. Mm -hmm. And so he taught me how to preempt that change before it came. 
and prepare for it. And then as soon as the change came, we would attack and then we would be able to move very quickly with that. And I think that's something in life that we want to be able to have greater capacity to do is to sort of be present, but also be tuned into where am I going and, and is this trajectory that I'm on going to cause some, this whole sort of karmic cause and effect type scenario. Mm-hmm. In Sanskrit, just to finish on that, we have this thing called Kriya and Karma. Karma is what happens after the action and Kriya is the, in, the intelligence or the, the sensitivity that we get before the action that guides us. I'm about to rob this bank and the Kriya is saying that's probably not a good idea. I'm going to ignore Kriya and go rob the bank. Karma mm-hmm. is what happens when you rob the bank and the police catch you. Mm-hmm. So would Kriya be more, it sounds like to me, it's like intuition, like allowing yourself to tap into that inner knowing that's always present, but we often ignore it. And it's so interesting. And and I would love if we could talk a little bit about stillness, because I know that's so much of your work, but uh, my, my, uh, my take on all this is you can access that sense of Kriya or understanding or intuition through engaging in greater stillness. And I think we often equate stillness with mindfulness and those stillness and mindfulness with meditation. So, um, I know you have a wonderful definition for stillness. So if you wouldn't mind sharing that, and then I'm just so curious, um, maybe the value of stillness in our lives, because we're, we're so fast paced. We're always moving. Um, I'm always multitasking. I'm terrible at sitting still, um, or allowing my, my brain or my body to, to relax in that way. So, um, yeah, what, what is stillness? Well, firstly, yeah, it's a great idea to explore what stillness is. It's the absence of motion. Mm. And that's, um, people say, uh, you know, I, I meditate a lot, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're, they're moving into stillness because a lot of meditations are guided or focusing on this and moving with that. And some people say, I walk in my meditation or I swim in my meditation, but we still have motion. And um, there's something really, really important. And not to discredit any of those meditations, they're all beautiful and have merit and value. Um, but what's important is that we have, mental and physical absence of motion. That's when the mind is still and the body is still. And it's in this place. It's not inert. It's not dead. It's not, um, you know, a blankness. It's actually an incredibly beautiful experience that is filled with a lightness, a lovingness, and quite a profound field of intelligence. Now, the intelligence isn't moving, so there's no thought in it. It's just a field of consciousness. And all creativity comes out of that field. And so what it does, and I love the quote from Oprah, which I'll use because she does the technique that I teach, um, one of those deep transcending style meditations that takes us into that stillness. She says, only from that place can you create your best work and your best life. Mm. And what she's talking about there is that place of stillness, that place of what we call being, where we're being, not doing. And coming back to what you're saying about you know the fast-paced life, it is a fast-paced life, but it's a life that, has uh, really the greatest addiction of all in it, and that's the addiction to distraction. Mm-hmm. And what we're doing is we're distracting ourselves from that place. And even a lot of the meditations out there, and to some degree, are a distraction. It's like let's let go of it all, let go of attachments to the outside world, the distractions of the outside world, even the need to stimulate ourselves in meditation with someone talking or someone guiding us or someone doing this or doing that, um, are we ready to really surrender into that place? There's only a few meditation techniques that will get us into that space, but getting into that space is critical for a fullness of experience of what it is to be human. Hmm. I'm so curious about this piece about distraction, because as you were talking about it, I just thought about there is such a discomfort 
um, centered around just being present, I think in the moment and distraction, I, I have found at least in my life has often been a way to ease anxiety and to ease that discomfort. And so, so interesting when you were speaking about the different types of meditations that are out there. And I often, um, listen to a sleep meditation to help me fall asleep. And there is still an element of distraction there. I'm listening to someone else's voice, or I'm listening to the music that is playing in the background. And, and I'm curious, um, about this piece about distraction. Like we're just so, maybe there isn't a question here. It's just a thought. Like we're just so uncomfortable with the idea of not having something else present all the time, the television on a podcast playing, uh, music conversation. It's very, and I don't want to speak for everyone, but I know for me at times that it's, it's very uncomfortable to be present in the moment without a distraction. It's, it's only uncomfortable because we have yet to experience our innate essence and that's mm. bliss. So bliss is an essence. It's not an emotion. Bliss, love, and joy. So bliss, love, and joy are the fundamental qualities of our being. And that's just at the very, very subtlest level beyond our thoughts, beyond our physical apparatus and beyond our emotional body. And until we access that level of blissfulness, which is in the silence and in the stillness, then yes, we will need distraction because um, not having something in that space will be uncomfortable until we experience that blissfulness. And that's why meditating with these deeply transcending meditation styles will give you access to that field that is blissful and joyful. So what you find is that the noise becomes more uncomfortable and less pleasant than the bliss and the joy and the love of the silence and the stillness. Hmm. This is so interesting. I'm stuck on something you said too, that, um, and maybe this was the quote from Oprah, that stillness is the way that we access um, those greatest creations that we can bring into the world. And, and through this element of stillness, there's this um, potential to reach infinite possibilities. And it sounds so, um, it sounds intuitive, but also not, if that makes sense. I think we often think we have to be constantly doing rather than being in order to reach those infinite possibilities, in order to um, create what it is that we are here to create. I think as a society um, and as a people, we spend so much time placing our value on that doing rather than just on that being. And through so many conversations I've had, um, it's so amazing to me how many of us are really striving um, to change that narrative. It's a bit of a cognitive dissonance in some ways um, and reminding ourselves that we are we are enough as is just by being who we are. There's There doesn't need to be this need to do all the time. Um, it's just such an interesting concept because I think it's so different from what we are often taught or um, what is mirrored to us as, as we're growing up and as we're evolving um, over time. Yeah, we need to understand the science of creation and that there's a field of unmanifestation where there's formlessness, but it's not empty. It's actually filled with all possibility and everything that's been manifest, whether it's the computer that we're doing this call on or my mm -hmm. phone or my, my glasses, my watch, all of these were manifest. That is, they became a form out of the field of formlessness. And what happens is there's, we become this, this portal, this sort of transition point from the unmanifest to the manifest as we cognize from that field, the intention, the impulse or the desire to create something, whether it's a film, a book or a phone or a, a biro that has a particular shape to it. Everything had to come from 
someone's cognition and insight and impulse or an intention. And from the field of formlessness, through the point of the first initial part of that becoming a form is the thought. Mm-hmm. And then from the thought, it goes into a sequence and a process to actually manifest it into physical form. And so that field is always there. And, you know, you hear about musicians or writers that will be in this sort of just on a bus and their mind will be kind of empty and they'll get this incredible impulse and they'll want to go back to that. How do I get back to that creative? And they'll start filling it in with trying to think or trying to do something to try and get more creative insight. Um, and it doesn't mean we can't have creative insight without stillness because, of course, the world's always been created in multiple forms. But when we meditate, it's actually very dynamic and we get these incredible impulses and insights um, from that field, from that space. We're sort of taking our intellect out of the, the vasanas, which are con- conditioned thought forms and very limited thought forms that we have on a daily basis. This is these patterns of neurological behavior that just go around and round and round day after day. When we transcend those, we access that field. And that's when we get these incredible impulses. So for me, you know, uh, you know, let's write a film, let's make a, write a book, let's create a coaching program, let's run a retreat. You get these incredible impulses coming up all the time and that's what Oprah's talking about. Mm. It, it's so interesting to me because it's really about providing yourself the space and the opportunity. Um, and, and when you do so, it's amazing what kind of comes into your mind. And, and as I was thinking about this quote that's often... Um, maybe it's more of a mantra, I'm not sure, but people often say that your thoughts really become things. And so how important what we focus on sort of materializes, which um, so much of what I think is what you were just speaking on. And, and so it all starts with allowing yourself that space and then the thought, and then it has this beautiful domino effect. But if you don't provide yourself the space, um, it's not going to occur. And I'm curious about, and I don't think, okay, I don't know if there's a way to measure the impact of stillness on our lives, but are there things that you have noticed through your work, your teachings, working with other people, your own life, um, and ways you've been able to see the impact of um, stillness and meditation in this way over time? One of the biggest things that we notice in myself and in students, <clears throat> excuse me, is um, simply one thing, less turmoil, more harmony. Mm. This is really what it comes down to. They become more adaptable, more creative, more in flow, less resistant. And so they have less conflict, they have greater harmony, and their life just becomes smoother. So it's more like it's not so much about what they get from having stillness, it's what they uh, start to let go of and what they have less of, which is less less turmoil, less insomnia, less sickness and so we start to get back into an alignment with natural law that is quite harmonious and quite Mm. vibrant and dynamic less turmoil more harmony that's so interesting i really love that i'm curious too how can stillness and mindfulness um because I'm sure people are thinking this, like, how does this fit into my everyday life? Um, You know, we talked a little bit earlier about the hustle and bustle and constantly moving. And uh, we're such a fast paced world, especially with technology. How can the two coexist? I think, I think that's just been a question that's been on my mind so much throughout this conversation. Cause I think we often think um, they're very separate, um, but how can the two coexist? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm married. I've got two children. I renovate houses. I uh, make films. I write books. I coach clients. I work with corporates. Um, we, we become incredibly capable. We increase our capacity. And this is part of the big problem that we're seeing in the world is that our, our demand for increased capacity 
mm-hmm. is happening every day, but our increase of capacity is not changing collectively as a species. So when we have very limited um, demand for increased capacity and we don't have increased capacity, we can sort of get by on life if we go back a thousand years, 10,000 years. But as we increase our demand, um, you know, for increased capacity, but we don't increase our capacity, that's our ability to be adaptable, creative, intuitive, then we get this gap and that causes huge levels of stress. And so um, we really need to find a way to integrate the, um, the tools and the techniques that are going to help us increase our capacity because the world is going to just continue to speed up. Demand, demands are going to increase. So for me, you know, it's critical that we get clear on our preferences on a daily basis. Um, we have in every moment competing preferences for time. So it's uh, 8 a.m. Sunday morning here, and I have competing preferences. I could have gone for a run. I could have gone to the gym. I could have gone to yoga class. I could have slept in. I could have read my book. There's literally thousands and thousands of things I could have chosen in this particular moment to fill this one hour with. Uh, And I chose it to be on this podcast because that was a competing preference that outcompeted all the other preferences for my Sunday morning. Mm. And so I chose to be here with you. And that's because I wanted to have this experience. And so we've got to get clear about each moment, these competing preferences, and then ask ourselves the ones that I'm prioritizing over an infinite number of other preferences, how much are they adding value to my life over the long term? And what we find in societies where they they, they contribute uh, or allocate portions of their time for long-term investment to their lo- to their health and wellness, that is, uh, we call them sadhanas, so meditation and yoga and practices that they know might not bring initial immediate sensory pleasure, like eating a bowl of ice cream, but they bring long-term sustainable pleasure and fulfillment. And what we have created in our society is the shortest and fastest route to short-term pleasure. pleasure. So let's get a bowl of chicken. Let's get a bucket of ice cream. Let's watch Netflix. Let's listen to Spotify. Let's scroll scroll through Instagram without really having critical thinking around how is that contributing to my long-term health and wellness and when we um, health and happiness. And when we start to get very intentional about the preferences that we're making and go, okay, well, I know meditation will make a difference to me over the long term. And I'm going to make sure that I put that as a, as a uh, unconditional part of my day. I really appreciate what you just shared about um, focusing on what's going to have this long-term impact for you and sort of this contrast about short-term in the moment. And what you said too about being very clear on your preferences, I think we need to spend more time doing that. What is it that we, how do we want to spend our time? What do we enjoy doing? What brings us joy? I mean, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was stillness and its connection to joy, but it sounds so much to me so far that Stillness can be this vehicle that gets you to greater joy. And part of that is being clear on your preferences, being clear on um, maybe your long-term intentions or goals. I'd love it if you could speak a little bit to that because, um, I mean, my brain is currently stuck on this being clear on your preferences thing, but I I also want to make sure we talk about um, all of this and its connection to joy and, and the way that it can show up. Yeah, I'll reference a student that I was teaching yesterday. I was running a meditation course this weekend, which I'm going to straight after this. Um, and we teach them over two days on weekends. And the woman came out of her meditation yesterday, and I always check in, you know, how was your meditation? After she'd just learned the technique, so she'd had her first meditation. And her response was, I just felt like I was filled with lightness. Hmm. And everything was just light. And I felt this incredible sense of deep, sweet peace. 
that just washed over me. And so joy is actually innate and it's not found in an experience. It's not found in an acquisition. Um, happiness can be found in an experience or an acquisition, but happiness will fade very quickly. Joy, bliss and love are the innate qualities that we have at our very subtlest level. And stillness is the sort of the gateway to awakening what's inherently within us. And here's the thing which leads to preferences is that when we, um, when we increase our experience of that innateness within us, the joy, the bliss and the love, then that urgency to have an experience that's going to provide us with some degree of fulfillment, that's short-term pleasure, starts to just drop away. And that's why when I meet someone with addictions, I get very excited. It's like, don't worry about your addiction. The fact is you're craving something that you know deeply within you Mm-hmm. is somewhere but you just don't know where to find it you think it's in the gambling you think it's in the drugs you think it's in the sex you think it's in the alcohol but it's it's that you're craving something and we don't need to worry about that the fact is you're craving that's a really good thing so now what we want to do is lead you home to the thing that you're actually looking for which is your innate essence mm-hmm. and that's where meditation can sort of swap them out i don't try to remove people's addictions um i leave them there i just say let's just replace it with this over time and you'll find that, oh, yeah, wow, I'm just feeling more fulfilled as it is anyway and that I just don't really feel like it anymore. Sounds like so much of what we experience on a day-to-day basis is a search and a quest for that element of fulfilled, feeling more fulfilled and looking for um, maybe an element of wholeness or connection that's really innate, but we just haven't been shown that that's innate. Um, So fascinating what you just shared about addiction, that there's that craving there. And so it's really about, I don't know if it's redirecting it, but more so allowing it to be the vehicle that carries you to that long-term fulfillment or what will sustain you. And and meditation can be that vehicle as well. We're all addicted. Yeah, Uh, We're we're all addicts. We're, We're addicted to the quest to be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And we're just using different methods and different devices for that to happen. And that is innate within us all because we're here to find truth. We're here to find uh, the wholeness of being. We're here to find source and some might even call it God. Um, and so this is the quest and the journey that we're on. It's just that we're very lost in that search at the moment as a yeah. species. Yeah. We think it's yeah. going to be getting more followers on Instagram or getting a bit better Bitcoin portfolio or getting more ice cream. So um, it's more just something. Cream, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Exhausting, exhausting the avenues of research into fulfillment. Yeah. yeah. And it shows up in so many different ways for all of us. I, I want to make sure we talk about the portal, this experiential documentary um, that you've created and produced. And um, if you could share with everyone what it is and, and also the inspiration behind it, I think it's so wonderful. Yeah. You know, I, I'm very passionate as you might've picked up by now about the power of meditation. So mm-hmm. I wanted to use different mediums to share that message And I knew um, that film was a very powerful medium to get stories and messages out to the world. And so particularly on the Hot on the Trails of the Secret, you know, we saw that that was able to bring a very esoteric subject matter, the law of attraction to the households of the world. So that really inspired me to use film and book as a a medium to get the message of meditation out there. And rather than just giving, um, I guess, a lecture about the science of meditation and why we should do it, we wanted to show it through storytelling and through um, a journey that really is what most films have in them, a journey where we go through, you know, shades of light and dark. And so um, we have six individual stories that have all gone through crisis that um, found meditation and used meditation as their tool to support them to get through that crisis and find greater harmony, greater success, greater joy. And 
um, it's not to discredit any other tools. There's a multitude of tools out there that can do this as well, like yoga and Qigong and plant medicine. It's just that we wanted to focus on meditation in this particular storyline. And so the six stories all have um, crisis and they all have meditation as this sort of two components to it. Hmm. I, I like this is so wonderful and I hope that everyone will be able to tune in and check it out. And I love that you've spoken so much about different tools and really also the power of film and books and even conversations on podcasts or on TV or the radio or whatever through storytelling ultimately um, as a tool to, I think, better understand ourselves, our journey, um, this craving through greater to, to greater fulfillment and wholeness and the ways in which that meditation and stillness can ultimately get us there. Because I think when we talk about tools, um, we talk about other things oftentimes, which are also equally as wonderful, um, journaling and, um, therapy and, um, you know, reading, oh, there's so many tools out there. Ultimately, I think it's about finding what resonates the most for you. And I don't think we often think about a film as being one of those tools, but what a great thing to add to our toolbox. I love yeah. It. What we're going to see hopefully as we become more conscious as a society is that we create things that are more conscious. Mm-hmm. We create what we are, which is one of the key themes in the film is that it's very hard to change the world with the state of mind that created the problems in the first place. And so we need to shift our state of consciousness first. And then as we shift our state of consciousness, we will start creating more conscious media, more conscious books, more conscious products um, that are generally uh, created for the betterment of the planet as a whole. And this is how I think we're going to see change over time. Yeah, more intentional spaces within media, uh, more conscious media. I'm right there with you. I I love to always ask someone if they have a, mantra or an affirmation or a quote, um, that they work on or work with or rely on, um, throughout their journey. And you shared this beautiful quote from Oprah, but I'm curious if there's, um, a mantra or something that you have held on to, um, through your practice of meditation or, or the type of meditation that you work with. Yeah. Look, I, I think my favorite quote is a Sanskrit quote. Uh, it's called Yogastha Kuru Kamani. And what it means is established in being, perform Mm -hmm. action. So if we first just understand what being is, being is bliss, love, and joy. So let's establish ourselves in bliss, love, and joy, and then go into action. Most action is for the purpose of finding fulfillment. But if we establish fulfillment first and then go into action from fulfillment, not for fulfillment, then the action is motivated from a very different place. And the outcome of that action is very different as well. Mm, That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. I'm curious too, um, if there's anything that stands out that you've really learned about yourself along the way throughout this journey, you've got so much more work to do and so many more people to meet and touch, but um, just always curious about the lessons I think that show up um, along the way. Um, My biggest lesson is that, wow, I'm so far from being there and that it's a constant journey of Mm -hmm. growth As as a teacher and a mentor. Um, I've learned the hard way that I'm always going to be a student and I just have to come to terms with that because there's always oh, yeah. lessons and there's always growth. So I'm still, um, one thing that I guess I to sort of succinctly put all that is just to be humble. 
Mm. We're always going to be a student. And I think the more we can remind ourselves that the better there's so much to learn, you know, from, um, others and through conversation and through immersing ourselves in, in different forms of media as well. I think for me, the, anytime I forget that I'm a student, I think I'm off my path. If that makes sense. I think the more we can remind ourselves that we're here to learn just the better off we're going to be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Nice way to flow through life a bit more, uh, without uh, as much turmoil. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Tom, this has been such a wonderful conversation. I think to close it out, I just would love to ask you the question I ask everyone really that comes on the podcast. And uh, it's a a bit of a big question, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. Uh, What is your biggest dream? I just love asking this one. I've got a personal dream, which is to live simply on a farm quietly in the the remaining years of my life. But uh, I also have a big global dream. That is that um, humanity wakes up to its innate potential. And as a result of that, we integrate much more harmoniously and successfully in amongst the world with each other, but certainly more importantly, um, more successfully with the planet itself and have a deeper appreciation of that relationship between us and the planet, uh, and we have less of that disconnect. Mm, less turmoil, more harmony through through that connection and that understanding. I think yeah. we're maybe going to get closer as time goes on. So it's so. a wonderful dream. Well, Tom, please share with everyone where they can find uh, the Stillness Project, the Portal Film Experience, connect with you and learn more. And, and we'll put all that in the show notes, but I'd love it if you share with, with everyone where they can find you and connect. Yeah, I mean, they can reach out anytime on Instagram. I'm very active there. It's my probably my main platform. Um, and my website, tomcronin.com, they can find pretty much everything there. Um, but also uh, the portal film is at entertheportal.com and the Stillness Project's just stillnessproject.com. Perfect. Like I said, everything's going to go in the show notes. We'll make it so easy for everyone to find you, connect and learn more. And I think I've taken so much from this conversation, but I think this piece about crisis is so timely. And I think um, my hope is that it brings some comfort to to anyone that tunes in and, and just thank you so much for, for this conversation and your perspective and just really sharing the impact of stillness uh, and meditation in this way. So I'm excited to share this one. Mm, thanks for inviting me along today. It's great to be here. Wonderful to connect. Seek the Joy podcast is a production of Seek the Joy Media and created, produced, and hosted by me, Sydney Weiss. You can tune into all of our episodes on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're enjoying the show, hit follow and leave us a five-star rating and review. Make sure to join the community, join the conversation on our social media channels, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We are at Seek the Joy Podcast everywhere. And don't forget, you can actually watch today's new episode and all of our episodes on our brand new YouTube channel. Click that link in the show notes to subscribe and tune in. As always, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. And I'll see you right back here next week for another Seek the Joy Tuesday.